And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I am your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And we have to tell you, we have to talk a little bit about our episode sponsor today. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And we sure do love Fullscale. They're, they're, they're our favorites. So today... Um, I have the honor and the privilege of introducing an absolutely amazing guest on the show. Uh, we have with us today Shelly Bell, and she is CEO and founder of Black Girl Ventures. And as you know, listeners who have listened to my hosted shows know, um, I have a huge heart and a huge love for female founders who are doing great work to make entrepreneurship accessible for all. And that's what Shelly does. And she does it in a lot of really cool ways. She has a lot of really exciting things that we're going to be talking about going on with, with Black Girl Ventures. Um, but I am just so, so psyched to have her. Like, I'm fangirling over here. And I cannot thank you enough, Shelly, for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm always excited to jump in and have really great conversations. Awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of, you know, jumping right in, getting right into it. Let's do that. So I'm going to ask you, tell us a little bit about Shelly, and then tell us a little bit about Black Girl Ventures and what you, what you do. Yeah, so I've lived many lives, okay? <laughs> so to anybody out there that is like career switched a bunch of times um, to the point where it doesn't even feel like you have a career, um, I was that person. So I was a K-12 teacher. I worked in the patent and trademark office for a bit. I... I uh, worked in workforce development, running like a large contract there. I um, even called myself a, a private investigator at one point. You know, I, I was trying everything. I was a nanny. Like, I was always side hustling. I would say one of the things that was um, really big in, in experience in my past was selling vacuum cleaners. And I talk about this because it's one of those things where you talk about pitch. Oh, my goodness. You know, you have to get to somebody's door and then get them to let you in their house to talk to them about something that they nine times out of 10 already own. And so it was the best kind of getting ready for like what it meant to be here and, you know, be pitching for funding or to be uh, just raising capital because you had to have a certain kind of conversation and a certain kind of like awareness around people. And you know, you you see that door about to close, you gotta you gotta insert something else in there. Like, I mean literally door closing, not like, oh, the the proverbial door. I mean like literally right in front of you. They're like, oh no, we don't want it. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Um, you know, but fast forward to 2014, I um I was going into work at a patent search firm and I thought I was faking it every day that I was doing really well, putting on a smile. 
But my boss called me in. It was one of the best bosses I'd ever had, honestly. He called me in and he said, you know what? You're amazing, but this is not for you. And he laid me off. Now, he gave me a really great package. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, that was actually a really good thing, you know? But then I was devastated. I went home and I called California Psychics. And I was like, what is happening to my life? And the woman, she told me, when you find the thing that you're going to do, the money will come. So the next two months of my life just flipped upside down. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm throwing, I threw all the furniture out. I, Cause at this point I got laid off twice, almost back to back. So I'm like, Oh my God, what is happening? I never get laid off. So, um, the first thing I did was I, was, I said, I'm going to build a TP. I'm going to build a TP, put it in my living room and I'm going to rent it out. <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you gonna what what inspired that like did you see that somewhere or did like tell me what what yeah great question version was (laughs) so i was i'm a poet and i've done like performance poetry up and down the east coast but at this point i was a part of a host committee i was a co-host for bringing a a um a poetry festival to town i mean through my background on top of just like professional work in that way I had had my own art organization before. I've done lots of community building things. I put on my own like local youth poetry festival. I had, you know, I had done things to build community. I worked with the Smithsonian African Art Museum on um, on like doing a poetry slam pattern after the Hunger Games. I had like hosted their arts and cultural day. Like I had done things leading up to to this point. And honestly, now. You know, I've been doing events and community building for over 10 years. Yeah. So I, I, we were bringing people to town, you know, for this festival and the hotel block closed. And I was like, oh, I have this empty living room. Cause I guess I was going through my, after I got laid off, I was going through a moment where I just threw everything out. I started building my own furniture. I was, I don't know. In hindsight, I was really going through something. But in the moment I was just moving. Yeah. Almost like some kind of natural fight or flight response, to be honest with you. And when I thought about, I had this empty living room. I'm like, oh, maybe I can get some poets to come stay in my living room and charge them for it. But, and so I started going down the rabbit hole on Pinterest. I found all these tents and I landed on these teepees. Now this is before the kid teepees hit the market. You know, like right now you can go into your average Target, Walmart, whatever, and buy a teepee for a kid there's still no adult teepees on the market yeah so i i found this one tutorial deep down in the depths of diy <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, with these two women who built this adult teepee and i was like oh i'm gonna do it and i didn't make it in time for the hotel block um close of the event and i had so much to do with the event i really didn't have time to build a teepee but after that i said you know what i'm gonna do it though and so I took their tutorial, which didn't give me like all the things I needed, but gave me just enough. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And to be honest with you, Lauren, I have no idea why I thought that would work. I, lit- <laughs> I It was just, it was out of mind. It was not like, but I had no doubt that it would work. Yeah. So it's at all. I'm like, this is going to work. Y'all are tripping. They're like, no, you're tripping. I'm at, <laughs> I'm at, I'm at Home Depot. I'm gathering wood. I didn't even know how to drill a hole. They're like, what are you doing? I'm telling them I'm going to build the CP, put it in my living room. I'm going to rent it out. Right. So finally get it all done. And honestly, it's a super great business (laughs) because it's so cost effective to build. 
and I was charging like $40 a night. Airbnb has a TP option. No way. Uh-huh. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yes, they do. And so with that, I put it up on Airbnb. I had so many people that wanted to come and stay. And this is, I learned through that experience what safe space meant because my goal was like, okay, like as a poet, I traveled and, and performed and men could like get on stage and be like, I need somewhere to stay. And then women would be like, okay. And they'd be safe. Well, I'm a woman. I can't do that. I wouldn't be safe with any man from a crowd that says, I, you can stay with me. Um, so I was like, Ooh, what if I could create like a safe space for traveling women? That was one thought. Another thought was, well, if you're a single parent or a person who doesn't have an extra room, you can't make extra income off of Airbnb. So what if I could build something where you could put it in your house and now your living room immediately turns into some type of bedroom and they're not sleeping on your couch. So they're not couch surfing, but they have a private area. You could close it. There was a light inside. I mean, we had custom bedding, AKA um, Ikea couch pillows that we turned into a bed. And then we had, uh, my mom like helped me sew everything. And after one woman came to stay, I quickly realized that I didn't want people sleeping in my living room in a teepee. <laughs> after all that. After all of that, right? Okay. After all, right. all the thoughts and after all, and because safe space. So if all if we walk into a building and it is structurally sound, then technically it is a safe space. Right. But if there is not more safe people, and safe space means safe people, we're talking psychological safety. When, so yeah. people say all the time, like, oh, this is a safe space. They're really meaning psychological safety, but we don't, sometimes we don't press upon that enough to really dig through, are we actually creating psychological safety, right? right. So she was going through some things. She was talking to my kids and I had, and Skylar's six now, she was one and she's trying to get in the teepee with the lady. And I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> so I decided not to do that. And I pivoted. I'm like, okay, well, what else do I have? What other skills do I have? What can I do? And in a previous job, I learned how to do t-shirts. Yeah. I had to do product print t-shirts. So I launched a t-shirt line. Um, it, the first line sucked. Nobody bought it. It was an LGBT line. And then I had to let that go and pivot again. And I landed on Made by a Black Woman. And I designed the logo, Pattern After Made in America logo. Yeah. And um, everybody loved it. My mom invested her money. It was her, her retirement money that she gave me. I used my tax return to buy my own machines. And we went vending all up and down the East Coast. We did small events from like small, like, you know, things on a corner <laughs> to like Afropunk. And, you know, women's empowerment events yeah. and things like that. I learned so much from that. Interfacing with customers. You talk about, again, pitching from the table live for them to buy something of yours. Well, in a really real and direct way, like you're talking directly to your consumers and you're trying to build excitement. And I mean, that that's a very like kind of in your face form of pitching, you know? You're not up on a stage. You're not like talking to a small group of VCs. You're, it's constant, right? That's, yeah, that, that would be a trial by fire, learn as you go, uh, real opportunity. That's awesome. And, so and the, the, no, the nose hit different. Yeah. Because like, you're right in what front of me. Right you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's not an email. It's not like a no thank you. It's like, mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you get you get to see the the reactions. Oh, that that's that's fascinating. 
Um, so, so what happened next? Um, started building relationships. Um, ended up leveling up that business through, through supply through supplier diversity. I can't even get it out. Um, working with Amazon and Google, doing merchandise print orders for their employees, and was able to like three x that build something really sustainable. Um, and I don't often talk about this, but like prior to me starting to really fully move into being an entrepreneur, I was receiving the government assistance. I was just trying to make it right. Like, yeah. and, and I talk about this because like, not, I like to tell it when I do tell it, cause I don't talk about it often. There's this idea of what the American dream is and what the American story is and who it's for and who can attain it. Right. And if you're receiving any kind of government assistance, it's almost like it, maybe it's not for you. The reality is I was, I wasn't receiving government assistance because I wasn't smart or because I didn't have a degree or because I didn't work great jobs. I'm a computer scientist. I taught K through 12 education. I, you know, I had done great things. It was the cost of living. Yeah. America is not built for you to be a single parent. And I was a single parent with two kids, three kids eventually um, at that time. And I could not afford to live off of a teacher's salary with two kids. Right. It was, it, it just wouldn't work. So entrepreneurship was like a, my way of like leveling up one to control over my time and being able to spend more time with my children. Cause I was working two and three jobs. Um, and like the permission cr to create. Um, so I think there, there was that part that was happening. So during this experience, I leveled all the way up, like basically to take myself, I took myself off of all government assistance um and was rocking and rolling with this business and then the news came out black women are not receiving access to capital black women are starting a business at six times the national average yet receiving less than one percent of capital women in general receiving less yeah. than two percent of capital minority women underrepresented women like 0.67 percent and i'm like what this is crazy and so i launched black girl ventures out of you know what we're going to do something. Let's just all get together, throw some money up and give it away. And 30 women in a house in Southeast DC answered that call. We came yeah. together, four women pitched their business. I ran the whole thing like a poetry slam. I'm not thinking about like, of course people were watching Shark Tank, but I really wasn't deeply embedded in the world of, of startups in that way. Right. Um, the a poetry slam is very much like a pitch competition in a sense. Um, because you get three minutes to do your poem and then there's random members of the audience who judge you. Um, and I felt like we include the entire audience because the traditional competition where only like four people get to make the decision actually mirrors the problem, right? So you're in a room of a hundred plus people and only four people get to have comments or make a decision that that's, that's the problem, right? So I'm like, yeah, we're not going to do it like that. So we, you now, you vote with your dollars. So it's, imagine Shark Tank meets Kickstarter. So it's crowdfunding and pitching match together, activating civic engagement in order to move the needle forward. So people can go into their own pockets and vote for the, for the founders that they like or the, the pitch that they favor. And then we grant out, so it's a charitable donation and we grant out to those founders um, on the back end. On top of that, we give them, uh, we have a six week accelerated course that happens after they get funded to help them with management of the capital. 
we give them coaching, a couple of tech uh, startup packages that they can engage in. We also focus on like connecting them to corporations and getting feedback from like corporate employees, more feedback on their pitch. Uh, we just launched a nine month accelerated program. I'm sorry, a nine month um, fellowship program across five different markets. Um, where we'll be focusing on not just being a business owner, but also being a business leader because we need more voices at the table. That is, Shelly, that's absolutely incredible. Like you're starting, I've been writing furiously as you've been talking because I have like, I have so many questions, but I'm, I'm going to forge ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to follow the conversational thread that we're on right now. So, um, let's talk a little bit, you know, you mentioned those statistics and I, I, I've heard those statistics before, you know, um, founder, female founders of color receive 0.067% of venture capital funding. I think now uh, women founders are up to 2%. Like we, we I think we hit 2.2% back in like 20, 2020. Um, but that is still, that is a huge discrepancy between, between parity, equity, and reality. And so I want to ask you, you know, you, you saw a need, but tell us, talk to us a little bit more about the landscape. Like why do black and brown founders struggle to attain venture capital funding? Yeah. So I think there, one of the things about this, this part of the conversation that people don't, I think deeply honor is just black history. I mean, like really simply, and I, and I don't mean, you know, I think people get um, somewhat nervous to talk about the slavery aspects of it. But I'm saying even if you fast forward past that, right, like, and even if we, if we just went into the idea that there's only been about 60 years that Black people in particular have been able to build wealth uninterrupted. Now, uh, there are like other cultures that America in general has not been kind to. I think the thing about Black culture is that not only were people not kind to it, but they were literally blowing it up. Like those are two different right. things, right? So it's like, you build something, we're gonna blow it up, burn it down. Like that's that's a different thing, right? Or, yeah. hey, you know what, let's give you a, uh, let's give you a, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just gonna say like a perfect example of that is Tulsa and Black, Black Wall Street. You know, that, that is a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. Like not only, are we going to discourage your achievement? We are going to actively block it. Um, so, so yeah, point point well taken. Yeah, and I mean, again, that's only been about sixty years ago, right? And then if we look at um, subprime lending, then we're talking maybe ten years, right? So, really, the idea of Black people not being able to have full access to things is still we're still feeling the remnants of that. And I think that we would like to say that it's not. We would like to forget it as a country. And like, you know, I tell people all the time, hey, I don't want to talk about racism either. If you if you stop discriminating, then we would have to talk about racism, right? Because it wouldn't exist. So I think there is this, that dialogue around, like, it's simply historically true that there has not been an open window for a long enough period of time for as many Black folks to get to a place where the people who are investing see the place of giving capital to them. So that's just first, right? Like if the people that they want to give capital to, they do is pattern matching is like, you know, the white male with a certain kind of background, a certain kind of family that has been able to, you know, move through a certain kind of wealth with a certain kind of understanding. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. That's just not everyone. 
And I think so founders in particular, black and brown founders, underrepresented groups, they're facing the lack of generational capital. They're facing the uh, pay wage gap. They're sure. facing the uh, disparities in hiring. They're facing the you know burdens of different family caretaking needs. Right. Um, and so I think in in not that all communities aren't facing caretaker needs, but just at a different level. And I think sometimes we just get caught up on like, well, if that founder's going through it, my I'm going through it too. But we're not facing the same thing at the same levels. Right. Right. And so that's really it. And I think the other side of that is having investors that understand that, but don't, but not using the history in a way where it's like, well, that doesn't mean you're not, that doesn't mean you can't innovate because, because we're absolutely innovating because guess what? That's the way we're built. Sure. Because if you didn't, you didn't have anything given to you. So you had to innovate. You had to figure it out. You had to, and those skills, that skill set, that churning, that, you know, understanding of business and ingenuity is sure to crank out amazing innovations. So like the lack of access in the uh, innovations go hand in hand when it's, when it comes to not being able to scale the innovations, but not for lack of having innovations. right? Right. So, so we just, honestly, it's a time thing. We need a, we need a, we need a, um, we need a wormhole if you ask me. And I think that there's some technology that may be able to figure it out. Like we just need to chop time and have, or, or have these investors understand a different kind of funding, patient, more patient capital, more public private partnerships, um, more thinking differently about how we do things for the life of me. I can't understand how we're sending people to Mars, but we can't figure out the pay wage gap. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really important <laughs> to note here for, for our listeners that when we're talking about the, the pay wage gap, um, you know, the narrative out there is that, you know, just as a, for instance, women receive, I think right now it's like 80 cents on the dollar for every dollar that a man makes women receive 80 cents. But when we talk about these things, we have to talk about it in an intersectional kind of way. You hear that 80 cent number, but that, 80, 80 cent number totally disregards the fact that for black women, that, that number is actually, uh, what is it? 73 cents. And for, you know, Hispanic Latina women, that number is 65 cents on the dollar. And so the way that we talk about these things has to change too, because we're taking that, that bigger number and we're saying that's the truth for women when in fact, that's not the truth for all women. And when we, when we talk about women, we have to talk about all women and we have to make sure that we're talking about the root of the problem. Right. Oh, you, you touching on, you touching on a a topic there because there's a complicated history between black and white women in particular. And diversity starts with white women. I mean, that is, is like, Oh, we're going to diversify, which means we're going to include women, which means we're going to include white women. Right. right. And so you absolutely have to think about the, the bigger picture. I also think that I wonder if anybody out there heard like 80 cents to the dollar and went, well, that's not that bad. Not too terrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's only 20 cents away from a dollar. What? No, it should be one to one. You know, like if we're going to do it that way. Right. So like it should not. Be. <laughs> right. You know, and I think people are like, oh, we're, we're close. Well, even trying to inch above is almost trying to make change is like trying to shift your GPA, yeah. <laughs> right? Like 
you know, you, if your GPA ever drops, you're in trouble because the point behind the point moves, right? Yeah. And so it takes a long time to kind of push the needle on some of this stuff, but I'm optimistic uh, about like kind of efforts that you're working on. I'm optimistic about what we're doing in Black Revengers. I'm optimistic about new administrations, this one and more. I'm, I'm optimistic about the potential for change. I'm a serial optimist, by the way. So like, I'm always I, like, no. I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you definitely have a, a sunny demeanor about you. And I, I love that you're feeling optimistic because I think more so than most, you have a, a really good bead on what's happening. So if you're optimistic, that kind of gives me permission to be optimistic because I'm like, Shelly knows what she's talking about. So I can, I can trust that optimism. Um, so, so really quickly, I do need to break in here and I do have to tell you a little bit about Full Scale. They are a software development company. They do a lot of really amazing stuff. They are, of course, today's episode sponsor. And if you are looking to build a software team quickly and affordably, Full Scale is definitely the way to go. They have an amazing team. I love working with them. Um, so definitely look into it, uh, fullscale.io. Um, so, so let's, let's, we're, we're talking about a lot of like really, we're talking about heavy stuff, you know, and I think one of the things that you kind of alluded to earlier and one of the things that we talk about a lot at Innovate Her KC is the fact like if we don't acknowledge and talk about these problems, we cannot fix these problems, right? And so I love the fact that Black Girl Ventures seeks to directly address issues of inequity in venture capital and entrepreneurship. And I, I like I said earlier, like I love ventures that seek to make entrepreneurship more accessible for all. Because the fact is, I, I believe, I don't know the exact number, but um, Black women-owned business is the largest, the fastest growing segment in the country. And, you know, you, you even said it, you know, when you're not handed tools and when you're not, you know, benefiting from systemic opportunities, um, as you know, people of color and women often don't, um, you, you have to get really creative and you have to use your ingenuity and you it's innovation by necessity. And so the fact that you are able to identify that, leverage that, and then use it to create more opportunity for black and brown founders to build, you know, build that intergenerational wealth that you're talking about and, you know, create opportunity for their families and employ people from their communities. And like all of this is just amazing. And like, I'm just, I love that I'm talking to you right now. I just can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm excited to be talking to you too. <laughs> So let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about Black Girl Ventures. You've had some exciting stuff happen recently, and I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to brag on yourself a little bit. Um, so I want to hear, I want to hear about Nike first. Let's talk about Nike. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an amazing partnership. And so, you know, it's funny, the story of like how we got there um, really just comes from like my board chair. So one thing about me and my board chair and my team, you know, the majority of my team, we lead with intuition. Yeah. And like intuition is everything. And, and, and it's, it's, I feel like that's going to come up more and more in business. We don't talk about it as much, but um, I remember when um, Susie Batiste, she's the um, founder of uh, Poopery. Um, I was hosting a panel with her at South by Southwest once. And she said, she started talking about intuition. I was like, yeah. Because I hadn't heard many business business people talk about it. 
So um, we lead with intuition. So literally my board chair, she was like, maybe this was maybe a year, two years ago, almost a year, two years ago. She said, we're going to get money from Nike. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Was she, speaking, was she speaking it into existence or did she Possibly. really? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no. We had no idea. Like this was yeah. a two, almost two years ago. So the beginning of last year, I think it was, she just sent a cold email. Yeah. You know, hey, tell them about Black Revengers, whatever. We didn't get, you know, we didn't get a response immediately. Um, and then when later in the year, when the, what I call the awakening happened, um, and people were waking up to these realities of the deep rooted um, parts of inequity and wanted yeah. to do something about it, we got the call. And it was like, hey, Nike wants to hop on a call with you. Can you go? What? Yep. Cancel all my meetings. I'm hopping <laughs> on. I'm hopping on. Sure. So, but they were really, really amazing. And I would say, like, honestly, all the companies that came to us. So a lot of people have asked me, like, do you think this is performative? Do you think it will last? I can always be for the companies that came to us. They have been amazing. And they came to us saying, we looked at everything. We looked at your storytelling. We looked at what you have done, how you have done it. We look at the way you talk about what you do, you know? So, yeah. you know, people, Visa, Warby Parker, Boclico, um, Diageo, um, PayPal, eBay. I mean, like yeah. just phenomenal, you know, global companies that were like, we want to get in, be on this journey with you. So when it came to the Nike conversation, the conversations from the beginning were more like, how can we help? You know, it was less about like, it was honestly less about pitching and it was more about how can we be helpful? Yeah. Um, there was a couple surprises along the way, good ones in the sense that like I, when the announcement came out, so we had been a part of a couple announcements and most of the time it's like, oh, we're going to give money to create a better world and here's how we're doing it. And you're in the long list of people. Right. One of the moves that Nike made that I honor and was amazing for us is that they positioned us as a partner. So it was like Nike teams up with BGV to do this thing. Yeah. And I, I, I love that because the influence of your branding is huge. So in, like investing your influence is something that I want to urge more brands to do. Yeah. Yes, people need your money. Got it. Do that too. Leave with their dollars. At the same time, it's not enough to just say, like, oh, we gave some money to it, and then here's a list of people we gave it to, and then that's it, right? It's like, no, invest your influence. And I would say that's truly uh, what they're doing. So we we work with the foundation side, and we also work with, we got the investment from the foundation side, and now working with the business side as well. So it's just been really, really amazing. The team, I, I also tell people, the employees, black and brown employees and allies inside of these corporations, yeah. are the real MVPs. So <laughs> shout out to all of the employees at Nike, Google, Visa, Warby Parker, like internal employees that have been like, listen, I love what you do and I want my company to act in this way in my community. That has been huge. Sure. Um, and so a lot of times like these employees are advocating for us to get us more and more things like, Okay, no, we're gonna rock with them. And then we we at Black Girl Ventures have a culture that's built around when we used to do uh, events in person. I used to say, make the venue welcome you back and make the everyone here feel welcomed. Yeah. I think very deeply about what I'm executing. I think about every part of it. 
because it's it's human interaction. So I think about it, it's human centered. So like I said, I'm an engineer. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about human centered design. So I'm thinking, what does the person feel like though? You know, like what, how did we address, people don't even know when I do events in person, I'm looking at everything. How do you go to the bathroom? What, like I am, I've had, I've had many a days going back and forth with event people at Google because I wanted to move the chairs closer to the stage. You know, like, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, yes, we are. Um, because there has to be a sense of intimacy. There has to be, uh, there has to be true authenticity. There has to be like you, there's a feeling that we're searching for right now. Everybody, not, you know, black, brown, whatever. We are searching for the feelings. What makes us feel more comfortable as as a community, as a society? What makes us feel more invested? What makes us feel like we're solving some of these long lasting problems that you look up and you're like, are we still doing that thing? Like, are we still, are you know, are we still talking about we can't like each other because somebody's skin color? Like, are we still doing that? You know, so I think that people are now like, we shouldn't be still doing those things. So yeah. human-centered design is all, like, that is the way for me. Like, from partners... So, so I'm certified yeah. in human-centered design because I just I love it as a a problem-solving methodology. Like it's just so creative and so empathetic. Like, how do you solve problems while centering the the end user, the person that you're trying to help or benefit? Like, I just I love it as a process. So you said that I just got all like squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when people ask me, like a lot of people, are like, what's the secret sauce? You know, human-centered design. I think, I think more when, when that psychic said to me, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying that people should be going to psychics, but I am saying that like the, the words around, like when you find a thing that you want to do, the money will come. It's almost like we, we don't necessarily leave with the money. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about that. Cause I do think more women should start gunning for the bag, like secure all the coins and bags and purses and yeah. everything <laughs> that you yeah. can get full full of capital and talk about it openly and be about it openly um but i'm saying that actually the human centered piece of that is how you get is how your pitch goes through is yeah. your are you talking to the human spirit you know relation marketing is relationship building yeah absolutely and, and that's that's a relatively recent thing. Like it used to be yeah. that marketing. I, I talk about this all the time. My my background's in marketing, and I talk about this all the time. It used to be that brands had a one way conversation with their potential customers. They were like, "This is who we are. We're going to put this out there." But now, thanks to the advent of di- a lot of digital like technology, you know, social media things like that, brands have been forced, and then some have like enthusiastically embrace the fact that I actually get to talk to my customers during throughout my messaging, you know, um, and that's, that's really cool. And it's very compa- empowering to a consumer. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question and I'm going to ask you to give away some of your secrets. Okay. Um, you know, we've been talking, we've been talking about a lot of different topics, but one of the things that I wanted to kind of pick your brain about and this is this is for our listeners. You know, when you're talking about pitching, um, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs thinking about being entrepreneurs, and they're they're going to be in a position where they're going to pitch. And I just want to know, what have you found to be the most effective ways to 
pitch a business. Yeah, know your audience. Um, I mean, because the, the, the construction of the frame of a pitch is simple. You know, who are you? What is it? Why is it? Why should anybody care about it? It's so simple, right? And then showing how you've shown that people do check, care about it. So I think that, you know, that's the simple part. You can get that fairly sim easily, but that's not just what's going to push your pitch through, right? Um, know your audience and, and pitch to them. If you're pitching to consumers, so a lot of times in a pitch competition, consumers are watching. And so you can almost kind of, it's a hack, in my opinion, for when you have a, an audience watching, but you're pitching to judges, don't think right. about pitching to them. Pitch to the pitch to the consumers, right? Because we all are consumers. So if you can tap into the consumer side, even of the person you're pitching to, you're gonna appeal to something there, right? And then everybody watching may actually buy or or um, get access to the thing that you have, your service or product. So right. you know, one of the things is like just know who you're pitching to, and then if you're pitching privately, like you're raising capital, you're raising around right now. Be really aligned with who you're pitching to, meaning like if you are in footwear, then, you know, it may not be the best use of your time to go and pitch to a um, tech wearables person, investor. Right. Could you, you know, do you feel like you have an innovative footwear design with some tech involved? Yeah. But like, is that your number one? So um, LAI, linkage, ability, and interest. And this is how you evaluate. So you make, and they use it in philanthropy. But you can yeah. really use it in raising equity-based uh, capital. And just like when you're right now in 100, if you can get to 100, 100 investors to go after. And then evaluate them. LAI, what's the link? What's the link to me or my product or my idea? Like, what's the link to that? Why would they care? Yeah. Right? And then are they actually funding? Because sometimes, you know, investors will take you on a ride. And you've had three, four conversations with them. They're launching their fund. They're fundraising for something else. They're not even, they're not even able to fund you. Right. So you just want to be very careful about this idea around like you having multiple conversations with them and it's not landing. You might have to move on. And then interest. Are they actually interested in the thing that you have? Yeah. Right. Like, is that, how do you know that? How do you find that out? Um, it's a really simple kind of litmus test for whether or not how much time you spend, which, which person. Um, and then I create a system for everything. So everything, everything, I am all about scalable systems. So it's like, Ooh, taking a small thing. I mean, think about it. This idea of crowdfunding and pitching was super simple. Right. I, it just, it was super simple. We build a tech product. So glad to hear about full scale. Cause I'm out of contact them. We have a tech yeah. product, um, behind what we do. And so I built that. And with that tech product, it handles the voting and the donating and all the things in between that we need it. Yeah. So, but it's scalable. I could pop it up anywhere. That is awesome. Well, so, so I have, I have two more questions before we wrap it up. And the next question is, is going to be really interesting to me, but what, what's next for Shelly Bell and Black Girl Ventures? Oh, world domination. So I mean, are, I knew that was going to be a possibility. Like I knew, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, we're going, we are definitely going global. Um, I mean, I would say like up next, next, like literally within this year, we'll stretch out to the West coast right now. 
We are the largest entrepreneur support organization for black and brown women on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, we are stretching out into the Midwest. We in Chicago now, and I need to fix. Still trying to figure out how I get into KC. We need. To, I need to figure that out. And then I, we're gonna. I do this, but you have somebody who could maybe help with that. Okay, we should do it this year for sure. All right. <laughs> I feel like I've been trying to figure that out for like the last three or four years. We should definitely do it this year. Okay. Do it. Um, <laughs> and then we'll be stretching out to the West Coast when it comes to U.S. based things. Um, right now we have the fellowship cohorts launch five cities at a time. And yeah. so we have right now, they literally will be launching on the 29th. So we have all the fellows, uh, decided and we have, uh, Philly, Miami, um, Philly, Miami, Cincinnati, Chicago, and New York. And so those we're still, the, the applications will be rolling. So they'll still be open for people to apply to become a fellow. In the fall, we'll be, we'll, we will be launching L.A. and Houston for sure, and maybe KC. We're looking for more cities. Uh, we'll be looking for three more cities to tag on, or we'll be following on with our other cities as well with new cohorts. So yeah. we'll do that. And I mean, we're looking at, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're rocking and rolling. Again, once yeah. I have the system, then I can scale it. So, you know, it's, it's fairly systematic in the way that we do it. And at this moment, we're funding 16 women a month. Um, so that's like direct access to capital. Um, and so we're moving, I, I'm like, how can I get some infusion of capital into as many black and brown women's hands as possible to keep yeah. them afloat, sustain them through business and get them to the next round of funding, keeping their right. people employed, keeping their contractors contracting. Like that is the sustainability piece is really where we play. So, yeah, no, that is, um, absolutely amazing and i look forward to it and know that at least on the kansas city contingent innovate her kc is happy to help you out wherever we can uh so so one final question and this is the the human question and i'm really curious to hear your answer so um i just want to know what's your superpower authenticity yeah I <laughs> You know, that's it. I think it, I just am myself. I think that really is what, and I'm myself all the time. I don't like, I got, I got a diversity in business award last night from, uh, from the Washington business journal and you know, we're virtual, right? So then when they call my name, I'm like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, but like it's, you know, the business journals are typically uh, kind of stuffy spaces. So like yeah. nobody's expecting that, but I'm like, listen, at, I made a teepee in my living room work. Okay. After yeah. that, I am unstoppable. You can't tell me anything. I, you know, like I get to bring the fun wherever I am and you just gonna have to deal with it. So I'm going to show up with this shaved head, with this lipstick, with this colorful, whatever. And you're just going to have to take that because I'm creating real impact. I'm not looking for you to validate me. I'm looking at my community and figuring out how I can pull people together. And don't get me wrong. That is, that's not to say that I don't have my days or my moments where I'm like, oh man, you know, like this Nike um, experience has been surreal. I was on a Nike billboard in LA and I, I flew out to look at it. And I was just, I, I just cried the whole time because I had said like, oh, I'm going to be on a billboard. Had no idea how, Yeah. but there's, it's a three-part billboard on one side there's Serena by herself in the middle there's like a collage of women and then on the other side there's me by myself and how good did that feel 
Like, just take a moment. I, still, I feel like I'm still processing it. If you, if you go to my social media, uh, there's a video there that you can see yeah. that has my reaction to it. And to think that something I started in the house, you know, leaving everybody out there, like something that was just an idea, random, let's all get together, put some money in a hat and give it away, turning into a, you know, we funded 130 women founders today. And that, uh, but, you know, that's so rolling that that number is probably expired by now. We're probably up to closer to 150 plus. Um, You know, we are launched across several cities, working with some of the largest brands in the world. I just knew that I wanted to create change. So if you're out there and you're thinking about innovating, you're thinking about using your ingenuity, you're thinking about how do you do it? Like you can do it. And I think, you know, over the course of my journey, you know, you watch award shows and people are like, yeah. if you're out there, keep believing. And I used to be like, whatever, you're already on the stage. You already got the money, you know, but not real to, you know, look internal and keep moving through what it means to develop you as a person. Cause that's the entrepreneurial journey and the entrepreneurial mindset will develop you. Somebody said to me one time, you want to get closer to God, become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, because your level of belief and faith is, has to be in abundance. Oh, so, man. absolutely. Yeah. Well, so, so I love that your superpower is authenticity and I, I have to thank you so much, Shelly, for being so authentic. And so, so wonderful with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, dear listeners, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend another another uh, Startup Hustle episode with us. We love chatting with you. We want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, you can definitely find Fullscale online. You can find Startup Hustle at StartupHustle.xyz and also check out Startup Hustle TV. Um, we have new episodes rolling out every week and we would love for you to give us a watch Uh, thanks so much and we will catch you next time Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on Instagram see you next time (laughs) 